and welcome to the So Novel Podcast. I'm your host Jess and in this fortnightly podcast I will be chatting all things books as well as interviews with authors, publishers and bookstagrammers. So whether you're looking for your next read or you want to know the story behind the story then this is the podcast for you. On today's episode, I talk to Kate Lloyd, otherwise known as Lily Tiles, on Bookstagram. Kate is the marketing manager for Text Publishing Australia and is one of the original Bookstagram accounts. We chat about Kate's intro to Bookstagram and I have a bit of a fangirl moment. We chat about our last now and next reads and then we deep dive into the publishing world. Kate answers some questions about the mysterious world of publishing, how bookstore accounts can receive ARCs, what is the etiquette in regards to posting before a book's publication date and what publishers look for in active bookstagram accounts? Here is Kate. Hi, Kate, and welcome to the So Novel podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. Very excited to be here. Yes. Now, we are going to chat today about your role in the publishing world, but First, I wanted to get to know you a bit more. So you have been a bookstagrammer for a long time. I actually followed your bookstagram account years ago and I would have been the first bookstagram account that I followed because I didn't really realise that bookstagram was a thing back then. And I used to watch like your booktube videos and that that you would do. Yeah. And I remember messaging you one time because I was so concerned with how you had arranged your bookshelves because you had (laughs) Harry Potter split over like the two of them. And I was like, no, 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 it's it's going to be too I'm ashamed to say it's still there. So sorry. Oh, no. Uh, but tell us a bit about your social media presence. How and why did you start on Bookstagram and how has it changed over the years? Mm. Well, thanks for being an old-time follower, I guess. Um, yeah, it's changed so much. I was trying to sort of think, I was, yeah, I was like, when did I even start my account? Uh, and I think it was 2013, which um, almost doesn't feel like very long ago, but then I'm like, oh, my God, we're in 2021. Um, Yeah, it's been a long time. And obviously the platform has changed a lot then. I've changed a lot. Um, When I started it, I was living in Adelaide and I was still studying. Um, Hadn't started publishing yet, but was doing marketing and working um, in a bookshop. And, yeah, I was sort of looking for other readers, I guess. It's as simple answer as that. Um, I think a lot of my friends at the time weren't sort of reading the same books as me or didn't read a whole bunch. So I felt like I had this part of my life I didn't really talk to anyone about. Um, and Instagram was kind of in the starting days um, where people were sort of looking at it as a micro blog. Um, obviously, blogs and YouTube have been around for a while by that point anyway. Um, and, yeah, I always love taking photos. And, I mean, if I scroll back now, I'm just so embarrassed at those early posts. But at the time, it was a really exciting way to connect to other people. And I think it was much more hashtag driven that you would look up like hashtag bookstagram and then I found like this community of people who were really similar to me um sort of all around the world which was super exciting as well but since then it's you know we have such a strong community in Australia um and so much has sort of changed like you know now we've got IGTV and reels and stories and all that stuff that wasn't there when it was just photos just captions um has really built into this like massive community and I suppose an economy in that sense as well um it's a lot more slick now 
you know, you can obviously sell <clears throat> products through there. You can be sent products. That's so such a different kind of beast. But um, I think Bookstagram in itself has sort of stayed as um, a lovely place and just a place for people to gather and talk about books, which is great. It hasn't, I feel like it hasn't really been tarnished and that's amazing. Yes, yes, definitely. And how do you find um, that, like, how has Bookstagram impacted the publishing world as in terms of marketing and especially during COVID too, I guess? Yeah, for sure. Um, so for context, I am marketing manager at Text Publishing. Um, so it's, when I first started at Text, I worked at another publisher before, but it wasn't, um in like the commercial kind of trade. So to come into a publishing company, having been on the other side as like a reader, a blogger who receives, you know, arcs and bound proofs and that kind of thing. And having sort of a relationship with different publishers, it was interesting to come in and be on the other side and be like, oh, cool. Like how can we now get our books um, out to these people who I feel like I have followed for years um, and who are my friends and I know what works and what doesn't. Um, But I think... um, in terms of there being a community there from a publisher's perspective, it's such a valuable resource to have. You, It gives you that sense of engagement with the end reader, which as a publisher you don't always have because obviously you're part of the creation of this book, but then it goes into bookshops and the bookseller has that face-to-face interaction with the reader and gets that feedback that we don't always have, but through social media we're able to have those conversations. And I would hate for it to be any other way. It's such a valuable resource. It's, you know, obviously it can be a bit of a time suck. Um, Social media is part of my job. And so I scroll on it a lot, which is both fun and (laughs) maybe a bit worrying. But um, yeah, in terms of our aim is to get the message out about our books and about our authors. And if we didn't have that online space with those eager and engaged readers, um, there would be a real disconnect between us and readers. And that would be a total shame. Yeah, definitely. And so you mentioned that you work for text. How do you juggle books that you want to read outside of your publishing role? Oh, the age-old question. It's really <laughs> hard. It's really hard. Um, so the thing about text as well is that we are quite unique, I think, um, in terms of other publishers, but particularly Australian publishers, where as a company we all read for acquisition. So um, it's not just the editors or or a commissioning editor who goes out and finds the books or are reading manuscripts. It's sort of across the company. So um, if you work full-time at text, you are reading all the time, which is great. Like it's such a good opportunity. It's so interesting. It's awesome to be part of that whole process. Like our list ends up being a curation of the books that we love and want to read because we've all read them and, um, you know, all behind the acquisition process. So in that sense, the, I was, you know, metaphorical <laughs> pile of manuscripts is huge on my desk, even though it's all on my Kindle. Um, but it's hard to squeeze in books for fun, in quotation marks, um, outside of that. But I do try, it's really important as well to keep reading from other publishers. Like you have to be aware of what's out in the market. Um, and also anyone who works in publishing, like, loves reading. So you're never going to deny yourself, you know, the opportunity to go into a bookstore and find a book by an author that, you know, we don't publish every author. There are whose authors who aren't on our list that um, I love and whose books I want to support. So it is a bit of a juggling act. I try to keep weekends for fun reading and do lots of my work reading, like, after work at night or, you know, in my lunch break and that kind of thing. Um there's never enough time, I think, whether you work in publishing or not, though. <laughs> so, 
it's a juggling act. I'm sure you feel the same. Um, I sometimes, yeah, just think I'm never going to be able to read all the books I want to read. And it makes me so sad. But me too. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I look at some of the books that are on my bookshelf and I'm like, you've been there for a few years and, you know, you'll probably stay there for I a few know. more. I know sometimes you just got to be real, but I suppose, you know, they're not going anywhere. And uh, yeah, I, I think once it gets to the end of the year as well, um, like summer break, all of us kind of like get our big stack ready of non-text titles to be like, right, this is what we're reading <laughs> over the break, um, switch off. But um, yeah, it's a lot and it moves really quickly as well. So obviously, you know, new books every month across publishers. Uh, how anyone keeps up, I don't know, but we all try all the time. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so we are going to talk about our last now, next reads now. So Kate, would you like to start us off with what your last read was? Mm. Okay, this was tricky because I was like, it's all work stuff that we haven't published yet. Um, but I would say outside of that, um, I have it here, that's why I'm looking down. Uh, I read an amazing book called Love is an Ex-Country by Randa Gerard. I don't think, I ordered it from readings and they had to order it in for me. Um, so I feel like maybe it's only available overseas, but it's a memoir, um, yeah, by Randa, who is a queer Muslim, like proudly fat woman um, who just talks about her life in this kind of really intersectional feminist way. Um, but the writing is so immersive it's very much for like readers of Roxane Gay or Carmen Maria Machado if you're into that you will absolutely love this um and it kind of maps her journey from um Palestine to the U.S. so it talks about politics and race and it's amazing it's just one of those books that I read probably six months ago and I haven't been able to get it out of my head and it's got a beautiful cover Oh, it does. Yes. I'm a sucker for a good book cover. It looks great on the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> and do you have a current read at the moment? Yeah. So I am currently reading um, Insatiable by Daisy Buchanan, which again has an amazing cover. Um, it's good. I'm probably only like 60 pages in, um, but yeah, I feel like it's a bit of a bookstagram favourite at the moment. Um it's basically, yeah, about this young woman living in London who, um, I don't know, what is just wants to change her life. So she starts saying yes to everything. It's very sex positive. There's a lot of sex in it already, 60 pages in, um, you know, which is great. Um, it's actually, it reminds me of um, one of our books, which I know I'm pretty sure you like as well because I've listened to another episode, <laughs> which is called It's Been a Pleasure in Only Blake. Um so, yeah, it sort of feels like a, a UK version of that in terms of, um, yeah, a woman empowered sexually going after what she wants um, and I'm just all about it, like those books. I can't get enough of them. Absolutely. I have that on my shelf as well and now that you've compared it to Noni Blake, I'm like, okay, I've got to push it up the list even higher because, yeah, all of the reviews I've seen have been really good. It sounds like it's, like, right up my alley. So I'm yeah. really looking forward to that one. And it's also... Um, it's great if you have been reading sort of if you've gone through a string of sort of serious literary books um, and you just need something that's page turning, not very serious, you know, maybe a tad unrealistic and you just want to escape for a bit. Um, it's a good one for that. A good beat read. 
Mm, okay, I'm going to make that my next read because yeah, <laughs> I'll tell you in a sec when we get to me what I'm currently yeah. reading and that's one of the serious ones and I'm like, I just really need something light and breezy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All for it. Yeah. <laughs> and do you have any idea what your next read might be? Mm, well, I have a few options. Um, one of them being, and I've read some of it already, so maybe I'm cheating. I've already dipped in. Um, but a New Animal, which is another like sexy book with a piece of fruit on the cover um, by Ella Baxter, which I think has just come out this month. Um, yeah, so I want to reread that. Um, I think she's amazing talent and I'm really excited. Like this is her debut, excited to see where her career goes. Um, she's lovely too. Um, and the other book that I wanted to talk about that's coming out in April is a text title. So I'm obviously biased, but um, <laughs> it's called The Shape of Sound by Fiona Murphy. It's another memoir. Um, yeah, Fiona's an Aussie author and it's basically about her experience growing up um, and keeping her deafness a secret. The writing is so beautiful um, and it's just an incredible story that the way that she describes sound and hearing for someone who doesn't have hearing loss is like a revelation. It's just stunning. Yeah, it sounds amazing. I've seen a lot of bookstagrammers receive that book actually and when I looked into it I was like, wow, that sounds really powerful. Is is she, like, is this her first book that she's wrote? Yep, yep, debut. It's, yeah, like you say, it's already got so much um, amazing praise from other writers. She, she's done other writing in the past, but this is her first um, first book. So she's sort of well-known um, and is, yeah, has a good network um, in the kind of literary community. But I just, I'm so keen for people to read the book because it's, it's all in the reading experience. It's just amazing. And I, yeah, just know those kind of reviews are going to come in and people are going to fall in love with it. So I'm like, come on, just <laughs> get to April. It needs to be out. It needs to be out. Yes, definitely. Well, my last read was, in fact, New Animal by Ella Baxter. Oh, ah, what do you think? Loved it. Yeah, I loved it. Um, yeah, I loved how she explored, like, grief and the female body and yeah like you said she's very talented and yeah. I think I will read anything she puts out now oh so good do you follow her on Instagram she also has a, an amazing Instagram account and she just posts the weirdest shit but I love it yes yes <laughs> I started following her when I received the book and yeah yeah I'm really enjoying it but yeah no oh, a great oh. book yes mm. and yes what I'm reading now is the performance by Claire Thomas yeah, yeah, it's got a beautiful cover. It does, it does. So I'm doing one of the tandem read-alongs for that book. Um, and, yeah, I, I'm struggling with it a bit, but I think it's just my headspace that I'm in at the moment. So it is, yeah, a bit of a tough one to read. Yeah. This, is, this is the one about it's three women watching a play and it's about their lives, yeah? Yes, yes, that's yeah. it. So, yeah, we kind of... As the play goes along, it it triggers memories for them. So we find out more of their backstory um, and it goes along like that, switching between the three of them. And, yeah, I've just started back uni this week and so I'm thinking I think it's just just not the right time for me to be reading it. Information overload perhaps. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But I, I'm going to battle through with it and, and see how yeah. I go. And then... Oh. Yeah, next on my radar, well, I'm thinking maybe Insatiable, I might push that up a bit yeah. now. <laughs> but also <laughs> I'm doing a bit of a group read of Outline by Rachel 
Uh, Rachel Cuss. Cuss. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, yeah. I love her so much. I don't know if you've seen um, an update photo of my shelves since the Harry Potter debacle, um, but no, I have like a thing to go look. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is like spine out except for my Helen Garner shelf and then my Rachel Cuss shelf. I love her. So, yeah. Oh, my God. I really want to know what you think of Outline when you've read it. Oh, so you have a whole shelf just dedicated to her. Yeah, because they republished her backlist um, in the same like cover style as the um, Outline trilogy. So I was like, well, now I need them all because they look amazing. Um, and it's nice to have, you know, when you find someone's work and then you realise that they have all of the stuff that you've never read um, that's been published for decades and you're like, amazing. Now I have a list to go through. Um, so, yeah, I've just bought a ton and I'm just working my way through them. Yeah, yeah, because this will be my first book of hers. And I've seen she has yeah. one coming out in a few months as well, I think. I didn't know. I didn't know. I've been in Textland. Oh, my God. Okay, I need to find out what it is. Yeah, <laughs> I can't recall off the top of my head, but I've seen it in a catalogue the other day and I was like, ooh, I think I'll put my name down for that one. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Now we're going to move on to our deep dive, which today is going to be a bit different. We're going to deep dive into the mysterious world of publishing. So, yes, Kate, can you, tell us, <laughs> can you tell us a bit about where you work? So you mentioned you worked at Text. Mm-hmm. And what is your role there? Yeah, so I am a marketing manager. Um, so Text, for anyone who doesn't know, we're an independent book publisher. We're based in Melbourne. Um, and we publish right across the market. So fiction, nonfiction, across like literary, commercial, we publish young adult, middle grade. Um, it's a lot. It's a very full list. Um, but yeah, we have an incredible list. So been there for two and a half years and I love it. And is this your first role in publishing? So I, um, studied masters of publishing when I moved to Melbourne from Adelaide. Um, and then I, um, was an intern at a small business book publisher, which was uh, while I was at uni and it was amazing. Um, publisher there is now one of my dear friends, but she taught me so much. And because it was such a small press, um, I kind of got to see lots of different areas, um, but was mainly in marketing um, there as well. So that was, so I went from there to text. Um, so I feel like, yeah, people move around a lot in the industry, uh, whereas I've just been in like to <laughs> publishers, but I feel like I've got really lucky where I am because, um, yeah, both companies have been very open and sort of provided a lot of opportunities in lots of different ways. Yeah, awesome. So just adding on to that too, so you said you're in marketing. Can you tell us a bit about the difference um, between the roles of sales, marketing and publishing? Um, I know, like, uh, to me it's kind of like, they all kind of sound just the same. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. There is um there is sometimes crossover, so I can understand how this is confusing. Um and all different like publishers are all kind of different, but in a very general sense. Um so sales is sort of the connection point between the publisher and the trade. So that means like buying groups, um, retailers, booksellers, and for text, we're represented by Penguin Random House as an agency. So our sales t- team work with PRH um, basically to get our books into bookshops. So then um, marketing is much more focused on communicating with uh, consumers. So that's coming out with campaigns um, that will kind of reach the everyday reader. So whether that's through advertising or creating, um, you know, in-store visibility with posters or bookmarks or any kind of point of sale material. 
Um, and also producing any kind of content, whether that's digital or, or print or outdoor advertising that lets the world know about the books that we publish. Um, so we obviously work with some, we do some trade marketing as well, but consumer marketing is much more of our focus. And then publicity is different again. Um, they work more closely with authors um, and set up and like pitch our titles to media. So to get reviews, um, they pitch our authors for writers festivals, uh, they set up events and that's kind of their, that's where they're facing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> and how have the roles changed during COVID? Because you're still working mm. from home? Yeah, I mean, I'm working today. This is welcome to my study nook. My dog's face <laughs> in the corner. It's not very glam. Um, yeah, so I suppose it's, such, it's been such a weird year. We're coming up a year working from home, um, although we are sort of going back and forth from the office now if we want to, if that's convenient. But so much change, like, within the industry. I think um, we all had to pivot in different ways, whether that's booksellers, you know, who didn't have an online store before all of a sudden setting up an online store because without that they couldn't trade. Um, so from our perspective, I think obviously events were just a no-go, especially in Victoria. Um, you know, bookseller conferences, no, all online. Um so I would say in a general sense across like all departments, a lot of our initiatives kind of pivoted towards an online audience. So whether that's, yeah, talking to the trade, meetings with authors, um, setting up Zoom events, uh, digital advertising, that sort of became our primary focus because that's what we could do. Um, and, yeah, it's sort of weird to think now about we actually just had a launch last night for Sarah Krasnerstein's new book, The Believer, and it was incredible to be in a room full of people talking about a book and seeing the author and, yeah, it was just so nice and it almost felt uh, foreign. <laughs> but that's what we used to do all the time. And um, I do think as much as COVID, you know, uh, meant a lot of things weren't possible, also made us think more creatively about how we do things. Um, and in a marketing sense, you know, our aim is always to meet readers where they're at, like where are people's eyeballs, like how do they find out about books? Um, and I think during this time when everyone spent a lot more time at home, that's much more screen focused. So, um, yeah, we've put a lot more energy and kind of resources into creating digital ads that are going to appeal to people um, and reach them when they're either scrolling on Instagram or when they, you know, buy the paper on the weekend or get a magazine subscription or whatever it is, um, we just want to make sure that we're still communicating in the right way that suits people. So maybe less advertising on a train if no one's commuting into work <laughs> and more, you know, creating video content that we can roll across Facebook and Instagram, for example. Yeah. So did you find, um, this would be just from your perspective, that book sales changed during COVID I feel like yeah. during COVID a lot of people who may not have time to read previously have found their love of reading again you know we've seen a lot more um, accounts like book accounts join Instagram and that to share their love of books how did that change for text mm. yeah it's hard to say I think um, we definitely saw an increase in sales of online sales because obviously people couldn't get out and go into their local bookshop or, or Dimmix or wherever they purchase books. Um, but in that sense, like, it's sort of been the best industry to work in during this time because books, you know, are always important, but they became even more important because, yeah, people had time to read, as you say. Um, 
it's uh yeah I think we're really lucky as well in Australia obviously we're back to much more of a normal you know COVID normal life than you know people in the US or the UK or other areas of the in the world um but in general the we have such a healthy kind of thriving literary community who are so keen to support our authors and our books. Um, so I think even though the world has been rocked this year, that hasn't really affected us in the same way that it may have for, you know, consumers in the UK or publishers in the UK. Um, so, yeah, we've felt very grateful, felt very proud of the community and the industry throughout this time, especially our booksellers. They're incredible. I don't know what we would have done without them as a publisher, but also like me as a reader. Um, also, I think there's something about publishing and because because time has been so weird in the last year, like people have lost their sense of time. And the way the publishing works, obviously, is that each month there's a new set of books. And that's something nice about the way that time is staggered and that you're aware of what's happening because of there are new releases and there is new things going on. There's always new things to talk about. Um, I don't know, there's something very invigorating about that. So I think it's kept us all all sane, um, uh, being out of work and do what we love during this time, but also, yeah, have, being out of read and find new authors and that's all kept ticking along even though the world feels like it's been on fire. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> now, a lot of the discussion on Bookstagram revolves around how to work with publishers. So Different publishers have different requirements from bookstagrammers. For example, some of the smaller publishing companies like Text may only require book accounts to have, you know, 1K followers, whereas some of the larger publishers now require 2K followers. Can you tell us how it is, sorry, can you tell us how a bookstagrammer is best to contact a publishing company if they'd like to work with them and possibly receive ARCs? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, yeah, obviously I can't speak for all publishers, but um, Texas is really open to building those relationships with book bloggers and influencers. Um, it's, I think we're all trying to achieve the same thing. Like we all love to share um, our passion around books. So we want that for our titles. Often readers obviously want to have access to that content and to share it with their audience. So I think we're all on sort of the same team, if you like. It's a mutually beneficial relationship. Um, but in the last couple of years, we've really worked on sort of putting a bit of a database, I guess you would say, um, together of the people who we really admire um, their work and what they do online. So really it's, this might sound straight, it's just, it's just kind of straightforward. Like often, we often get people, you know, DMing us on Instagram or getting in touch with us on Twitter or however it is. Um, just saying, oh, you know, I've seen that this book is coming out. I've seen it in your catalogue, for example. Like, I'm, I'm a book blogger. Um, and, yeah, if you have any spare reading copies, that would be great. And, obviously, yeah, we would, like, check out someone's account. If they have an engaged audience, that's the most important thing to us. Um, and most, honestly, people don't really get in touch unless they're passionate about it. So where we don't really have, like, a metric of you must have this many followers. We just want to know that... Um, yeah, you have genuine interest in the book, you want to share about it on, on your profile and really we're grateful for you to reach out. Um, we often have like a capped amount of copies that we would send out, but in that sense um, we're so open and happy to working with people because um, I, I think it's really valuable. Like, you know, word of mouth is the most sort of valuable and important um, influence, I think. Um, obviously, you know, readers read reviews or we might see ads, but 
I think the books that we end up reading are the ones that you hear your friends say or all the people who you follow online who feel like friends say, you have to read this book, it's amazing. That's such a powerful action um, that actually translates into sales or translates into people falling in love with an author's work. So anything that we can kind of do to get our books out there um, and obviously we're hugely appreciative of people taking the time to read a book and review it and talk about it and share it with their audience, like we're all for it. For it. So feel free to get in touch. Um, we're super open and we don't um, sort of spam people with anything. We don't just send things willy-nilly. Um, we do make sure that if, you know, literary influence is a part of our campaign, it's very well considered. So we'll, if we think you'll like a book, you know, we'll get in touch or, or we'll ask you what you would like and then we'll make our decisions from there. So, um, yeah, it's it's so, like I said earlier, you know, I'd hate to not have that connection point with readers um, and that's a, a really valuable way to do it. Absolutely. And I love that you talk about engagement over follow account because yeah. I feel like even though my account has grown quite a lot in the last six months, my engagement kind of hasn't changed. Like I think some of the smaller accounts get just as much engagement as, yeah. you know, those that have, you know, 15,000 plus. Really? So, yeah, I think that I really like that. Mm. And I think like, you know, I follow so many bookstagram accounts and the ones that um, you often follow what you also like or the people that are speaking to you directly who are authentic and genuine. Um, and yeah, like I said, like almost feel like friends. And so we kind of approach it as a company in exactly the same way. Like the way that text is on social media, for example, like there's not a lot of, there's no kind of corporate jargon. We're just like, yep, we're book nerds. This is us. We have these great books, check them out. Um, it's kind of informal and I think that, um, I don't know, that's, that's what I would prefer to see, um, a bit more like transparency um, and just being down to earth because I think that's what people connect to. But also we're just people. We all like the same thing. So let's have a chat. Yeah, definitely. Because we were talking before about Noni Blake and mm. I know the reason I picked that up was because of two accounts, Beck's Bookshelf and uh, Sarah's book, like, oh, Sarah, oh my God, I'll tag her. I can't even think of her tag now. Um, and they did an interview with Claire Christian yeah. and they talked all about this book and, you know, they got so many people to read it. And I, mm. I still say to Beck now, I'm like, you guys done like huge things for that book in the really? Instagram community. Yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah, that's the best kind of organic um, promotion, I think, when it just comes from the heart. Um, Claire, as well, the author, is like amazing on social media. She's the most lovable person I've probably ever met. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. I think, yeah, we're like, just, we love being part of the conversation. We don't want to kind of take a backseat to that and just, you know, work on these books and then put them out and not hear from anyone or um, kind of have this corporate face. We are very much part of the industry and part of the community and yeah it's it's great I wouldn't want to be any other way so yes love it hmm. now one of the other big questions on bookstagram is always I say why did that bookstagrammer receive that book and I requested it but I didn't receive it can you give us some insight in how text decides who receives arcs but I guess is there kind of like a general publishing rule for that as well? Um, let me think. I guess the database that I was talking about before, um, 
where we have, you know, people's name, their Twitter handle or their Instagram handle. We also have a section about um, where we've asked people what kind of books they like, so mostly genre-wise, although people, you know, give lots of different answers. Um, And so when we're putting together a campaign, say it's for a YA novel, um, you know, we'll go through that and say, okay, who said I love YA or I love Australian YA or I want YA um, with LGBT characters or that's kind of how we figure out, okay, well, that's the information they've given us. We haven't sort of put words in their mouth or anything. Um, This is what they've signaled they would like to receive. So I suppose it goes back to building a relationship rather than looking at just a follow account or anything so that we know that the books that we're sending out, you know, obviously people have limited time. Not everyone can read everything, but in an ideal world, we want the our books that we send out to land on the desk or the bedside table of the person who's going to be like, oh my God, I'm so excited to read this. I can't wait and sort of follow through with sharing that excitement online if they like the book. Um, so yeah, we sort of have go have a very curated approach to sending out those titles. Often what happens as well um, after we send out those books is that we get other people saying, oh, I saw this on that account. Um, I would, I, you know, I love that author or I love rom-coms or whatever it is um so I'd love to be added to your list and then we're like yep cool we'll add you to the list so it's sort of like an ever-evolving thing um that's constantly growing um and also you know it it makes no sense from an economic sort of standpoint um but also everyone's just time and effort if we send a rom-com for example to someone who loves fantasy <laughs> it's <Yeah>. just <laughs> they're gonna get it and think oh that was you know a waste of postage or now I have to do something with this book I don't it's not really my thing um so we want to make sure that it's of interest to the person and we're not like wasting their time um and we're also yeah just hitting the right audience I guess um is something that we take a lot of time and energy to figure out yeah and talking about reviews so I know um you sometimes get um oh what's it called a media release with the book yeah and you know Mm -hmm. it has the publication date and that and it asks no reviews to be posted before publication date but there are Mm. quite a few accounts who I don't know if they just don't get the memo or they don't read it or don't care maybe who post before the release date what's Mm. um what does text like to do about this side of things yeah, so on our bound proofs, I'm looking around because I have some right next to me. We have a little um, section that says, you know, embargo until the publication date. So that's sort of for the benefit of the media. Um, so that would be if, I don't know, if a writer for The Guardian is going to put a, you know, write a review and it's going to be in their newspaper and online, um, that they might potentially take a quote from the book, for example, then we don't want them to take that from an early review copy because the text might change. So we wait, um, ask them to wait until publication day to post that review um, because that content is sort of um, obviously embargoed until the book is out and it's a finished copy. But with um, influencers or, um, yeah, book bloggers or any kind of social media activity, that's not a strict embargo. So we um, recently actually updated our little message on the book to say that if you would like to share, you know, especially if it's got this amazing cover that we, you know, want to show off before publication, we're like, please do post about it um, to say, you know, you can tag the author, you know, use the hashtag, blah, 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 whatever it is. Um, you can post about it before publication, but no kind of media reviews until that embargo date. So I think I understand your point. It is a bit ambiguous sometimes and it can be hard to understand what to do. 
Um, but I suppose, yeah, I mean, that's up to the publisher to communicate that clearly. Um, it's no fault of a, of a blogger or anything like that. But in, in a general sense for text, like we're just stoked when someone talks about our books and we want to see that they're enjoying it. So, you know, there's no strict um, embargo on how influencers talk about books. It's just more like media reviewers um, and interviewers and that kind of thing. Yeah, okay. So can you tell us a bit more about this word embargo? Because I had never heard of it <laughs> until I um, received Clara in the Sun from okay. Alan and Unwin. And mm-hmm. I got an email, which I, I never normally get to say it's under strict embargo until this date. Mm-hmm. And then I received another one from Murdoch the other day that said, you know, this one's embargo until this date. And I was like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> So they they've sent you a book with the press release. Is that right? You've already um, got the book? Uh, so, no, they'd sent the email before I got the book um, for yep. the first one for Clara and the Sun and then I got, um, I think it's Tea, Tea with Jewels was sent to mm-hmm. me from Murdoch and on the press release for that it had um, that it was embargoed until mm-hmm. this particular date. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose for... Yeah, obviously I can't speak for their kind of strategy, but um, in terms of really, like when I worked in a bookshop, for example, um, when J.K. Rowling wrote, oh, my God, what's it called? Casual Vacancy. Casual vacancy. So that was like yeah. a yeah big book after Harry Potter and whatever, and as much as I'm like not a J.K. fan anymore and I feel like I've brought her up a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sometimes yeah, I remember. Her a lot, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the book that I remember that sticks in my mind that we were like not allowed to open the boxes. Um, I think it's part of an overall strategy to just be like, this is so under wraps, this is such a big release for us that we don't want anything leaking until people can buy the book. So I suppose they're pushing all of that kind of promotional activity right until the point of that book being available for purchase. Um, Yeah, texts don't really run like that. (laughs) Like I said, our media embargoes are more so that, um, you know, people reviewing the final material rather than um, it being part of like an overall promotional strategy. We're quite... um, keen to get especially if we have early reading copies like we've printed a set of bound proofs to go out so that we can get people reading prior to publication um it's definitely part of our strategy for people to be aware that the book's coming and to have read it if they're you know an influencer in that space so um yeah I suppose it's I I don't know you'd have to ask them I'm sorry (laughs) to say I can't shed any more light on it (laughs) so I guess if we um have received an early publication book it mm-hmm. can, in a general sense, it's okay to review it if we're not taking um, specific quotes yeah. from the book with our review. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's particularly important if you're like a, a national newspaper or publication because it can misrepresent the book um, and that's obviously not not ideal. That's not what anyone wants and a lot of work goes into getting that finished copy to be, you know, the best that it can be. Um so that, that's really the main point from our perspective, not that we don't want anyone to talk about them or that it can't be shared. Um, often, yeah, like I said, when we've got bound proofs, we've made that decision because we want everyone to know about it. So, um, yeah, in, in, for a marketing sense as well, that's where very much like, please share it, talk about it, like get people excited. Um, it's sort of, from our perspective, it's um, tricky to know what kind of influencers would want to do because, the bound proof often doesn't look the same as the finished copy. So some people will wait for a finished copy because they want to photograph, you know, the finished kind of cover. We don't always have a cover when we've printed a bound proof. Um, 
So, yeah, sometimes it can be tricky, but those copies are very much there to be read and there to be talked about. Um, so we encourage that. Excellent. That clears up so much on my end. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> now let's talk a bit more about the actual publishing of a book. So if there are any authors out there who are listening, who are yet to be published, or if anyone is in the process of working on their book, how would they go about submitting their work to a publisher and kind of what's that process after submission? Mm. Yeah, so every publisher, I feel like this is my answer for so many things, every publisher is different. Um, So some publishers uh, accept submissions all the time, text to one of those publishers, um, and then others might have, you know, a day a month where they'll say we're accepting submissions for young adult books or, or just they have one day where they accept submissions. But, yeah, for text, it's open all the time. Um, There's heaps of information on our website under the submissions tab um, that you can submit online. So basically what happens um, from that point, that means anyone could submit, by the way, you don't have to have an agent um, and your manuscript will be received by us into what (laughs) is probably not very nicely called the slush pile. (laughs) So basically that just, (laughs) so we get manuscripts, um, agented manuscripts that agents send us to read. They'll often send them to a specific editor, especially if they work with them in the past. But if you're, you know, anyone can write um, and anyone could submit a book. So that often goes into the slush. So what happens then, like I said, um, everyone in the company at Text reads for acquisition. So we get together when we worked in the office. It used to be on a Friday afternoon. Uh, Now we do it via Slack and we all access the the file where all of that's stored and we spend that time reading those books and yeah, sometimes we pick books out of the slush. Uh, we actually were publishing a book um, in August this year that was pulled out of slush last year by one of our publicists. Um, so that's always really exciting. It's so nice. You get all kind of things in slush. Um, it's sort of exciting. To It's a sense of discovery, I think. Uh, you never know what you're going to get. But um, when you do find something, you can feel it. And that's when someone goes, oh, I've just read something that I think there's something here can, you know, if you me being in marketing, I'd say, oh, can an editor look at this or can a publicist look at this or can someone in our rights department look at this? Do you think there's something here? Um, so that's kind of how it works in, in the back end. Um, I must say that doesn't happen very often um, <laughs> just because, yeah, you get so much. It's sort of hard to keep up, but it is a thing that we do every week and um, every manuscript gets read by two staff members um, just to make sure that we're not missing anything. So, yeah, it's a very open process. It's fairly easy to submit. We also um, have a couple of writing prizes and a mentorship or a couple of mentorships now, so there are other opportunities for authors to submit their work. We're just about to open the text prize, um, which is our YA and children's writing prize that we do every year. Um, so, yeah, I would head to our website and have a look at all of those different kind of ways because there's it depends what, what your thing is, but there are lots of opportunities to get your writing read. Yeah. So do you get to choose um, what you pick on the Friday to read? What do you mean? Sorry. So with the you said with your acquisition that hmm. you all sit down and read the book on a Friday. Who yeah. um, 
choose like is it all the same book that you read and do you who chooses the book to read yeah yeah so we basically have a pile what was used to be a physical pile which is now lots of different little uh dropbox links (laughs) but yeah so we're all reading so within that say hour session of reading for slush you'll probably read about 10 manuscripts so you don't have to read the whole thing you just get you read enough to get a sense of it and to think oh yeah this has potential this could be something that we might publish or if it's you know not of high enough quality or it's I don't know not the kind of book that we would publish that we don't publish picture books or if it's a graphic novel or something that we haven't done before that wouldn't be tenable um then that's a no and it just goes into a no pile um and that author would hear from us to say I'm really sorry but this isn't something that we could successfully publish so yeah it's totally your choice when you dip in how much you read of it um but everyone reads very generously and we consider things um always seriously because we know like you know I'm often reading books from Slush and I think wow like it's writing is amazing in a sense that people sit down and spend so much time and effort and energy and like passion into this thing with absolutely no guarantee of doing anything and it's kind of an amazing thing about humans that we're willing to to do that so yeah I would never want to brush something aside or not consider it seriously because yeah that is so much of someone's work yeah would you consider yourself a writer have you had a a go at writing anything no I'm like (laughs) I'm so not like I don't know it's a weird I feel like there's a uh, perception that everybody who works in publishing is either a secret writer or a secret editor and I'm just I just could never, you know, I read our author's work and I think, wow, that is real talent. I just don't have it. Um, <laughs> there are parts of my job that require me to write like ad copy and um, you know, catalog copy and very short kind of marketing driven uh, writing, but I'm just not that patient. You know, I, I wish I had that talent, but I'll leave it up to people who are much better at it than me. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, I kind of get imposter syndrome a bit when I'm doing reviews, mm. like on Instagram, because I'm like, I'm not a writer. I'm, I'm a reader. I'm the other side. <laughs> no, but now that was my next question, whether you were like, if you write or you're just happy, you're writing reviews and you're nailing it. That's, that's very yeah. valuable. Yeah. <laughs> it's not less that, than. That's my extent of, of writing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now to finish up our chat, we're going to play a round of fast five. So five quick questions to get to know you a bit better so number one is there a genre you tend to stay away from that's a really good question uh sci-fi yeah 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 again I feel like I'm just not clever enough I don't get it it goes over my head yeah what what's your go-to genre do you have one or also a difficult question um yeah lots of things I, I feel like looking at my stack it's you know, memoirs, nonfiction, but I also probably read fiction the most, contemporary literary fiction, anything where, like, women are boss and um, there are diverse characters. That would be, that's my favourite. Yeah. Number two, is there a book on your shelf that you're ashamed to say you haven't read yet? Oh, good question. Uh, maybe it is my uh, my backlist of Rachel Cusk because she's my favourite and I'm, what am I doing? Why am I spending time with <laughs> anything else? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like sometimes like I go through phases where I'm like, I'm, I'm not a reader at the moment. I'm going through a collection phase where I just have to like, you know, collect all these books and then I get super overwhelmed. And you know, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's important too. the shopping part is important. Yeah. 
Number three, do you buy used books? Yeah. One of the best places, which I haven't been to in a really long time because Melbourne and lockdown, um, and I miss going there, is the secondhand book sale at Queen Vic Market. Have you ever been there? No. Uh, it's. I think it's on a Sunday or it used to be every Sunday, but they have boxes of books um, and often like quite new releases as well. Like I found some textbooks that I was like, oh, we've like literally just published that. Um, really bargain prices. So if anyone's in Melbourne and they're still doing that, I'm not sure if they do. But, um, yeah, I love that. I think it's that that kind of sense of discovering something and um, never knowing what you're going to get that is super fun about secondhand bookshops. Yes, I love finding a hidden gem in secondhand mm. bookshops. Yeah. Or a different like- cover. Or, yeah, something from an author that you love and you didn't know they, you know, it's a US edition of something from ages ago. You're like, oh, this is so exciting. Yes, absolutely. Number four, what is your worst habit as a reader? Um, either uh, There's probably two. Uh, sometimes reading books and then, like, literally just not reading the last 20 pages. I don't know why. I don't know why. It's, <laughs> it makes no sense. And if you were to go through my bookshelf, you just find bookmarks, like, at this point. In the, I don't know, it's so stupid. Anyway, um, so either that or dog-earing my pages. Oh, is, I know. It's, yeah, it's unforgivable <laughs> and I do it all the time. <laughs> so are they, like, would you consider the books then if you've left 20 pages as, like, a mm. DNF? No, I've read so much of it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think it's because I'm always multi-reading. Yeah. And either I don't, it's not a conscious thing. Like either I forget, I hate myself for doing it. I really do. But um, oh no, if I was to talk about that book, I'd be like, yeah, I read that. Like, yeah, because <laughs> again, so, probably. Too. I guess you know those last few pages is kind of like the wrap up. So I guess you do kind of already get to the end of the story, and then it <laughs> kind of just this. yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I know what happens I, now. I don't need to read the yeah. rest. <laughs> I need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> and number five, do you prefer hardbacks or paperbacks? Ooh, probably like this is probably very cliche but paperbacks for reading but hardbacks for gifting mm. I think is the general rule um yeah like when I like I said I had ordered that like love it is an next country from readings and I'm pretty sure it's the U.S. edition because it's in hardback and you know how the U.S. generally publish everything in hardback first and I was so surprised because it's the size of a paperback and but I was like oh this feels really nice um so it sort of felt like a bit of a novelty, but um, I love a floppy paperback. It feels good. And it yeah. sits nicely, you know, if you're reading in bed or on the beach or whatever. Yes, it doesn't fall on your What about you? Too. What's your preference? Um, I think I'm a bit the same, like paperbacks to read, but, yeah, if there's yeah. a hardback edition, like I would definitely go the hardback, but I always have to take the um, dust cover off yeah. it when I read it. Yep, it goes back on the shelf. It's a risk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think like jo- before joining Bookstagram, I didn't realize that like hardbacks were such a big thing in the US. Like most of their books mm. come out in hardbacks as opposed to paperbacks. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I suppose it's a bit like us here where we often publish is like C format trade of a new release and then, you know, a year later or however long later the smaller version comes out at a cheaper price point. But, yeah, in America it's hardback, paperback, um, yeah, just a different way of doing things. But I think, honestly, I just think printing is probably cheaper for them, whereas we don't have that luxury. <laughs> yes, yes, true. 
<laughs> well, Kate, thank you so much for joining me today. If you're wanting to check out Kate's feed, you can find her on Instagram at Lily Tales. And thank you again for joining me. Thanks so much. This has been so fun. If you enjoyed this episode, please let me know. You can subscribe and leave me a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or find me on Instagram at So Novel Podcast. Thanks for listening and until next time, happy reading.